1: I'm Sophie. I'm Yelly. And this is She's All Fat. The podcast for fat positivity, radical self-love, and chill vibes only.
2: Now in our final season.
1: In this episode, we're rethinking about health at every size with friend of the pod,
2: Deshaun Harrison. But first, our news corner. Okay, mail alert. We've opened a Google form for you, our beloved Fat Family members, to write little notes of love to this fat community you've helped build. We'll be reading and posting your letters all season long.
1: Speaking of, we have a very special letter from Hannah. This podcast and fat family has helped me so much grapple my eating disorder. Hearing these perspectives and breaking down the fat phobia in society has helped me fuel my anger towards my disorder and embrace my body. I have no words to express the love and enlightenment this community has given me. Never stop being amazing.
2: Thank you, Hannah. That means a lot to me. This podcast and this community has also helped me embrace my body and helped me with my disorder. So I'm glad that it's done that for you too. Check the show notes to write your love letter to the family today family, you know the spiel by now. It's your last chance to join our Patreon. The money from this season will be used to maintain our site and ensure you can listen to the pod long after our finale.
1: When you join our Patreon at Team Paisley Mumu or above, so that's $7 a month, you get access to our legendary patron-only Facebook group, where people are talking about how to stay cool in the heat and sharing fertility experiences.
2: You'll also get a bonus mini-sode every Friday. This week,
1: we're taking a little bit of a break, but next week Big Sister Mailbag will be back for all of our patrons. And if you like hearing us big sisters answer your questions, join our Patreon at Team Paisley Mumu or above to hear full mini episodes every friday one last piece
2: of news this week has to do with today's guest Deshaun. As you'll hear in the app, they have a book coming out in August.
1: It's called Belly of the Beast, and it's about anti-fatness and anti-blackness.
2: You're definitely going to want to read it after this episode. So we decided to do a little giveaway. We're pre-ordering four copies to give away to our Patreon family.
1: If you're a patron and you're interested in getting one of these copies, we'll put a link in the show notes to a Google form where you can enter yourself into the giveaway. And bonus, if you join the Patreon anytime this month of June,
2: we'll put your name in twice. It's going to be fun. We'll remind you for the rest of the month and announce our winners in July. Now let me tell you a little bit about today's episode and next week's. Deshaun and I ended up talking for so long about so much, we decided to split our combo into two episodes. That's
1: right. Like we said, today's episode is the portion of our conversation on all things health at every size. And next week, we'll drop you into the second half of the interview, which is a deep dive into Deshaun's brilliant mind.
2: Just wanted to let you know that the interview won't end as ceremoniously as they usually do this week. LOL.
1: (laughs) All right. Sounds like it's time for the first half of your interview. Here's the episode.
2: I'm here with Deshaun L. Harrison, writer, abolitionist, and community organizer. And Fat Cutie. You might know Deshaun from their work at Wear Your Voice magazine, or maybe you've heard of their upcoming book, Belly of the Beast, The Politics of Anti-Fatness as Anti-Blackness. I'm so proud to have you on the podcast. Can you please introduce yourself and say a little bit about your connection to fat justice?
3: Yes. So I'm so happy to be on the podcast. I am Deshaun Harrison, as you said. I am a writer, an organizer, an editor, now an author. And so my connection to to fat justice, to fat politics, all of that sort of comes by way of all of the work that I was already doing prior to my knowledge of any of this. I started writing publicly in 2017 as like a means of survival. At the time I was homeless, I was like, navigating extreme poverty I was like dealing with a lot of things I was doing survival sex work and I found fat politics like in that in that moment and I was like whoa like this is this is an explanation for so much of what I've been experiencing and navigating and now I have language for that And from there, I I literally just started reading everything that I could. Every book that was out there, every article that was being written by folks who took fat politics seriously, right? Like, I wasn't interested so much in in moving through, like, body positivity and moving through, like, necessarily, like, self-confidence and self-help type of works. But, like, people who were really taking fat politics seriously. And once I got knowledge of, like, the ways that, you know... The medical industry and and diet culture and gym culture and housing and and employment, all of that would affect fat people. I was like, this has been my experience. This has been my life. And that is what led me to this fat justice, fat acceptance type of experience um, and framework. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, let's get into the meat of it. And in the meat of it today, we're talking about Deshaun's opinions. That's all we're talking about.
3: <laughs> Let's do it.
2: So, one thing you touched on right there is you were talking about the parts of the fatosphere talk that work for you and that don't work for you. Mm-hmm. So, one thing you tweeted recently was a thread about Haze that I was interested in having you explain. I really want to know what your thoughts are because I really look at you as somebody who often brings up things that I wouldn't have seen or thought about in a certain way. And then I have to Google what you're talking about. And then I come back to it. I'm like, oh, OK, cool. And I really value your critiques of things because like, as a white person and a cis person, it can be very easy to not see stuff that I'm missing, Mm -hmm. you know? Absolutely. So I really, I appreciate that very much. So I want to know what your thoughts are about Hayes.
3: Yeah, no, I I appreciate that. It's always nice when people like recognize their limitations to an extent and and are willing to like to hear and grow in their politics.
2: Always. I'm baby. I know nothing. Teach me everything.
3: (laughs) And And that's really not even the case either, right? Like I know that so many of us know a lot and, and we're still yeah, learning. Like
2: the but the more you know, the more you realize you're baby, you know?
3: Li- that's true. That is very true. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Saying. Yeah. I'm like, I'm always trying to find something else out and learn something new. Yeah, so basically my critique of, of Hayes was that I think that in so many ways it is a reformist project is what I called it. And by that I mean that it's it seems to act as a type of reform of a of a system that was Design that is predicated on unlocking certain people out of of health irrespective of what size they're they're at right and so in chapter three of the book I talk about health as this metaphysical violence health as something that is not just just structural but that is constructed by the world in which we live, which means that it exists not only as a structure but also as an idea and also as as part of the air that we breathe as part of the language that we use, even when we're not doing so intentionally, and so there's a scholar. Her name is Hortense Spillers, and she she wrote an essay titled "Mama's Baby, Papa's Maybe." And in that essay, she is talking about the ways that Black folks at large are ungendered, which means that that there's a, a specific type of monstrosity assigned to to blackness and to black people, which removes us from from gender, mm-hmm. which therefore removes us from from humanness or humanity. And a lot of black scholars write about this concept of of black folks being othered or being existing outside of the human as a construct, as a form of power, right? And so what I meant by by Hayes is a reformist project is that I'm not invested in in being read as healthy at any size because I know that as a as a black fat person that I'm removed from from this ability to be recognized as healthy, irrespective mm. of what framework is being used. My interest is in destroying the concept of health itself, because the medical mm. industry, which gives birth to health, is produced through anti-Blackness, right? We know that some of the first findings of this Western medical industry is, is through eugenics. It's through this, yes. these eugenicist anti-Black projects where, you know, you have white anthropologists and, and, and white doctors who are creating entire diseases and illnesses entirely to keep the slaves subjugated. And so that is the foundation of our medical industry. I'm not invested in trying to reform something that's predicated on my subjugation. And that's what health is. Health is, is a project of the human. And if the human is designed and is, and is built on someone like me not ever being able to access it, I'm not invested in trying to find my way into it. Rather, I'm invested in destroying it so that we can create something that actually allows for for the rest of us, for all of us, to be cared for in a particular way. And so, I think that health at every size is is a good placeholder, right? I think that that people have it with good intentions that you know we we want to make sure that that fat folks are taken care of in doctors' offices and that we're taken care of through healthcare and whatnot. I honor that, and I think that that is a, a, a nice placeholder. What I also recognize, though, is that even for fat folks who go to doctors and and don't have any illnesses or any uh, "quote unquote" diseases, right, or any disabilities, and they have perfect blood pressure, perfect cholesterol, perfect all of that, right? They're still read as as unhealthy, and that's especially true when they are also black, because there's there's a lot of ways that black folks have to interact with doctors and and other medical officials in these offices that harm us. And so if that can be the case, if we can enter into these spaces with all these perfect numbers and still be engaged as someone who is unhealthy, who's outside of health, right? But then also live in a world where we know that by definition, by whose definition, by um, the CDC's definition, that Black folks exist outside of health always because the world is never safe for us and so much about the definition of health is about safety. Yeah. But when we're placed in environments where we where we get asthma at disproportionate rates because of environmental racism, right? And when we are having to be concerned with, you know, the various ways that we can contract other like illnesses because of the way that that our environment is set up around us and and these are intentional things. There's no way for us to necessarily be healthy. But when we also know that like Black folks are suffering at disproportionate rates with mental health disorders because of, you know, police violence and state violences and whatnot. That also goes into account of what is and is not health. And so if all these things are true, we have to know that that there's no way for the black fat, as I call it, call it in the book, to be healthy, because there's always something in the way of our health.
2: Yeah. I want the listeners to know you're putting air quotes around health several times.
3: Yes, yes. yes. And since that is the case, I have to be very, I, I, I don't, I think all of us have to have to then be made aware of the fact that there's no way for all these things to be true. And we still try to hold on to a concept where we recognize it's predicated on something that many of us don't have access to. So, yes, I want fat folks to be able to see doctors and nutritionists and and whoever else they want to see in the medical industry and be cared for. I'm not invested, though, in in thinking of Hayes as an end-all, be-all to a project that is designed to do exactly what it's doing to black fat folks, black fat and disabled folks.
2: Totally. That makes sense to me. Can I ask a couple questions?
3: Yeah, of course.
2: Well, first of all. So I had Lindo Bacon on the pod last season, Mm -hmm. and they were talking about how they also had some critiques of their Hayes book when they were like writing their new book. Mm -hmm. We'll put a link to that in the show notes because some of what they were saying like aligns actually with what you were saying Mm -hmm. as well. They were critiquing the Hayes framework as more focused on individual people having to like pursue things, which is part of what you're saying this is my question always when it comes to like things like this where I'm like, yes, I follow along. I listen. I agree with what you're saying. And then I get scared and I'm like, well, then what do we do? How do we do that? How do we get there? What do we do?
3: (laughs) Yeah. And and it's a question that I think everyone is, is asking when we hear these things. And I think (laughs) that there is no easy answer um, because everything that we, that we do to try to take its place If it's not talking about destroying anti-blackness, if it's not talking about destroying whiteness, if it's not talking about destroying thinness as a politic and anti-fatness as a politic, then then we only recreate the very same harmfulness. And so I think that what we do is we figure out what it looks like to destroy all of these things and do so together in a way that gets at the heart of the issue, which is is the world, right? The, The world is created in this way. And there's something very important then about recognizing the fact that this doesn't stop at at not using Hayes, right? Because there will be something put in, in Hayes' place that will replicate the same the the very same issue. So we have to just I think be really cognizant of that and and, and be mindful of that and really try to work towards figuring out what it looks like collectively to destroy these concepts instead of reifying them.
2: Yeah. I think it's it's hard for me to imagine what the steps are because mm. I see Hayes and other things. There's a lot of things like in this position like you're talking mm-hmm. about, like things Absolutely. that are like trying to make steps to rectify situations and they're kind of half measures slash like – in my personal journey, Hayes was something that helped me see what I was invested in. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it helped me start to understand, oh, maybe I don't have to listen to what the medical like community right. says. Maybe I don't, maybe this isn't right. You know what I mean? Like it was mm-hmm. very important in that way for me, but it is not like a revolutionary switch. Right. But then I get like, okay, but the people who own that, system are the people who are invested in keeping it. So what do we do? Then how do we undo that system? All of us, right. if we're in, we're in for it, but we're not doctors, you know?
3: Right. Yep. Yeah. No, literally. I, I talk about in, in, in the book as well, like the creation of this modern day obesity epidemic, air quotes around that, right? Yes. And I don't think people realize like, the essay that the CDC and other medical officials put out in in the JAMA journal in 2004 was all that, all these different industries needed to justify a genocide of fat people, right? That
2: was like something about the obesity epidemic? That's what you're referring to? Right. Okay.
3: So it was an essay where the CDC and, and, and other medical officials released a writing pretty much saying that 400,000... Americans were dying a year of obesity.
2: From what? What For, are and, we... From what? Right.
3: <laughs> and that, that it would, it had taken over tobacco as the leading cause of American death. Okay. Like that. Mm-hmm. Right. And they ended up a year later having to rectify that and, and cut the number under half. They actually said it was 112,000, which, of course, as we know, is still inaccurate. But...
2: Again, what does that mean? Like, exactly. what does dying from obesity mean? Nothing. Right.
3: But by the time that they, that they made that change, that, that they released that, that new number, the government had already funded so many science-based like, experiments for, for, yeah. for scientists to be able to, to justify these numbers, right? The diet industry, the, the gym industry, gym culture had, had skyrocketed. We know the early two thousands is when you get like you know Weight Watchers and, and Jenny Craig and and all of these other like lean cuisine. The birthplace
2: like, of my eating disorder. Yes, right,
3: <laughs> for so many of us, right? Yes, like that. That's when gyms start taking taking over in, in really major ways, and and they had the 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 science to back it science and air quotes because of this CDC essay, mm-hmm. and so it was like so much about the people who stood to benefit from, from this already had in just yes. a year's time. Right. Like, and I think that like, that's the wild thing about this is and and that people don't really, I don't think people think about it enough. It took less than a year yeah. for, for them to be able to fund so much about what is still harming fat folks today. I think that is like really scary, but also really like fascinating in a, unfascinating ways like yes only a year's time like damn
2: i didn't know about that we have to research that and put more info in the show notes
3: yeah it's 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 like a really big thing there was a book written by j eric oliver titled the obesity epidemic fat politic and he writes about all of this he wrote the book came out in 2006 and he writes about all of this how how the entire thing the cdc got the numbers based off of 30 year old evidence where they didn't even calculate like how a person what led to a person's death, all they calculated was how many fat folks are dying versus how many thin folks were dying mm-hmm. and and that's where the numbers came from
2: that's such bad it's just bad science it's just
3: bad science and there were a number of people even in the c d c in the c d c and outside the c d c who critiqued this science long before they released this in in the Journal of Medicine America or something like that jaMA I don't remember yeah. the actual name the acronym but J. Eric Oliver he he writes about this and it's fascinating to me just to just to see how much they were able to get done in just that that year's time yeah. that would lead to him writing a book in 2006 like he he was able to write an entire book 2 years after the writing of this essay about all of this just bec- like because of how rapidly things were were moving with yeah. with this hatred towards fat people and so i think there is something pervasive, right? and we of course we know this, but we really see this through through this time period. There's something so pervasive about this hate hatred of fatness and the fat people that would allow for for science, medicine, and government to be back funded in so many ways to to push this agenda against fat folks and so I say all of that to to go to your question, which is like yes, all of like. The people who who stand to benefit from all of this are are the ones who, who get the backing, right? So we can have Hayes as a project that fat folks believe in. We can have Hayes as a project that, that we feel really benefits us because we at least get to get to hear critiques of the medical industry and get to know that doctors are not infallible, right? But it's designed through an industry that is yeah. being funded by the very same people who produce. An obesity epidemic, in air quotes, and so it's like, who actually benefits from that in the long run? If mm-hmm. not the very same people who have produced the 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 harmfulness that we've navigated, of course, the hatred of fat folks didn't start in two thousand four. Yeah. So long before two thousand four, but like this modern day epidemic that we're that we're experiencing,
2: which I once again recommend everyone to read Sabrina Strings' book,
3: "Absolutely Hearing the Black Body," yes. especially the
2: end very clear about this it's very eye-opening she just really lays out the facts like boom 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 it's like hard you know can't argue with it right about the modern period especially is like
3: she blurred my book (laughs) really
2: oh my god that's so exciting oh my god (laughs) that's cool i just got goosebumps your book's gonna be so good i'm so excited for it cannot (laughs) wait to read cannot wait to read
0: and 365-day returns.
2: Okay, I have another question. Okay. Another way that Hayes has helped me is like in the particular, you know, Mm. I'm personally having this health issue. I don't know what to do. The doctor tells me just lose weight. Hayes Mm. tells me, okay, go back and push and say this, this, this instead. And then Mm. even though it's still within this framework – it's the only way perhaps I can see to get help for or try to get help for something that's bothering me in this moment. You know what I mean? Yeah. Are there other ways you see of approaching that right now? Or like, is that, what do you think of that?
3: Yeah. I don't think that that's harmful. Right. I think that, that we, we use the tools that we have. Yeah. I've never necessarily used like Haze as a framework when interacting with doctors, but I have for a very long time, had to learn how to advocate for myself, and, and have had to do research on my body, and 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 be a medical student in so many ways. Yes, yeah, same. To be able to care for myself, so that doctors know that I'm not the one to fuck with, um, <laughs> and and that and that I, I I care enough about myself to to not let them get over on me because they get paid the, the more we suffer. Yeah. And so I think that if, if Hayes teaches fat folks to advocate for themselves and 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 to to learn more about their body so that so that doctors don't get over on them. I'm all for that, right? I think I think of this in the same way that that I think of like prison reform. I'm I uh-huh, do not sure. like prison reform. I don't support prison reform whatsoever. But I also am not against a person who's like raising money to build one one person out of jail because I know that that's one less person in jail. Mm-hmm. And so while I'm not invested in laws being written that like only reform prison and then stop us from organizing to abolish prisons. Right. I'm not interested in that. I do support fully what it looks like to bail someone out of, out of jail, to be able to get people out of, out of jail, out of prison even if it doesn't end the system in the very same day.
2: Yeah, to survive with it
3: the system. Exactly. Yeah. So 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 I think it's it's about being mindful of the fact that this is not destroying the system and also being mindful of of how our language and our actions lead to policy. I don't I don't want policy written about this that stifles the work happening to destroy the things. And I think that's the difference. For example, I think this is just a beautiful example. Um, you know, calls for defunding the police were amplified last summer. And then we got bills on the table around like anti-lynching laws and and now this most recent bill written and passed about anti-Asian discrimination and whatnot. But those policies in so many ways give more funding to police, right? Mm -hmm. And so if if policy is written to, to sort of like placate the public, while also giving more funding to the very same system that the public is, is is reeling against, that it doesn't actually do any real justice. It doesn't do anything good for the people who are being harmed most by by the system. And in so many ways, that stifles the work that people are doing because people take it as a win. Mm. So I'm not invested in, in policies being written by, about this or, or whatnot. I am okay with however, or actually I'm happy about the way that that Hayes allows for a lot of fat folks to find confidence enough to be able to advocate for themselves and the language to advocate for themselves in a way that they maybe would not have had before.
2: Yeah, okay. This is like a larger revolutionary question. Yeah. But how do we move towards those changes if the, if the majority doesn't agree at this point?
3: Yeah, and I, and I think that that, is, that that requires more of us hearing the critique, understanding the critique, and building ways together to be able to give this critique to the general public, right. To give this critique to the masses. I think that so often we exist in our echo chambers, whether it be social media echo chambers or academic echo chambers or organizing echo chambers, whatever they, however they exist, we exist in them. And we forget that there are, that there are people out there who don't have access to to this at all, which is why I wrote the book in the way that I did. I wrote it for, I wrote it in a way that doctors would be able to understand it. My mom would be able to understand it. My little cousin would be able to understand it, and my my favorite academics could understand it. Right? Mm-hmm. It was important mm-hmm. that that people from from different walks of life would be able to read this book and, and know exactly what I was saying in it, so yeah. that we were able to to build this sort of like cross genre, like cross coalition. Yeah, like exactly. Um, that 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 makes sense for all of us. That we that we are able to like. Interact in, in, in ways with each other that allow for us to be able to um to make sense of what's being said. So, like for example, for the virtual book tour happening in August, I'm gonna be sitting down with a doctor, this black woman doctor, so that we're having a conversation for a, a medical audience, because a lot of her following is like other doctors and folks who are invested in Hayes or who aren't invested in Hayes or who are learning more. So that'll be like one audience. And then I'm going to sit down with Dinesh Smith, who is a poet. Right. And then I'm going to be sitting down with A. Lehman, who is a writer and a professor and academic. Uh, and it's important like, that all these different audiences are being brought together to have this particular conversation, because now there's more people who have access to this critique that they can take back to their specific communities and audiences and that they can then take to their specific communities and audiences. And to me, that feels better than just creating something that only one set of mm-hmm. people will be able to understand or or relate to or or, or grab hold of um, the, the critique. And so, I think it looks like having conversations and and building coalition and and and, and creating space for folks to understand these things across spectrum. Yeah. So that we really are able to have honest and earnest conversation that doesn't start and stop at debate, but that brings us to, to a conversation about what moving forward looks like. Um, and I think that we are so often getting stuck at the 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 debate, because there's a differing of understanding of what definitions are. There's a difference mm-hmm. in in understanding what what the harm is, what the what the critique is. And so, if we can really get to the heart of what the critique is, if we can get to the heart of, of 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 what's being said instead of talking about the language and whatnot, I think it makes it easier for us to move forward beyond that point. To to be clear about the fact that none of this is working and it cannot work. So what then comes next? What happens yeah. moving forward? And of course, depending on your discipline, that will determine what your answer is, whether you're you know, a, a Marxist or a socialist or if you are just a, a black feminist or if you are just an Afro-pessimist, like whatever your, your specific discipline may be. And, and for some of us, we, we move with different disciplines together, right? Like I'm a socialist who also has Afro-pessimist leanings. And-
2: Can you tell me what that means? Afro-pessimist?
3: I can give you a bit of an understanding. <laughs> Sorry, of I have so I many that- questions
2: for you. I'm just listening because I'm fascinated by <laughs> everything you're saying. This is a great, this is like a free education for the audience. Family, listen
3: up. <laughs> a lot of Afro-pessimists would define this differently. And, and so, of course, I would say that the the person who coins this term is Frank the third. He writes a book called Afro-pessimism.
2: We'll link that in the show notes.
3: And a lot of folks have a lot of critiques of it. But Essentially, um, I'm going to try to explain this in in ways that makes most sense. So essentially what he's saying is that Black folks are the other. Black folks are not human. Um, Black folks don't have access to to things that humans have access to. Um, Black folks don't have access to things that are designed for folks who are not Slaves. Mm -hmm. But black folks are always slaves. We are we have not left slavery. We still we still exist as slaves even if we've left a physical plantation. And so the Afro-pessimist argument is that there's no way for us to necessarily rid ourselves of of this harm if we don't understand it as something that is ontological or something that is in the air, something that is created by the world, right? So the argument is that the world is and, and, and the world being defined as, as this colonial anti-Black structure, right? The world creates all of these violences under anti-Blackness and that, and that anti-Blackness is the heart of this violence. And that because of that, unless we are committed to destroying the world, we do not get rid of the violences that we experience. That is essentially the argument in like the most simple of terms. And so, because I will I will say it's not it's, it's not a simple concept to understand, but that is like the simplest terms I, I have to use um, to explain it. And so I argue, and, and the reason why I say I have Afro-Pessimist leanings is because I argue something very similar that really says that, you know, our issue is not just structural. I think that people talk about the world as if it's just structures. And if we just abolish the structures, then we'll be okay. But I don't believe that that's true. I believe that structures are created first by ideas. Ideas are created because they exist in the air. The world creates, it sort of permeates the the atmosphere, and and that creates the conditions for the ideas to exist that then create the conditions for the structures to exist. Mm -hmm. And so if, for example, we're talking about anti-fatness and, and, you know, we talk about Sabrina Strings and she names in the beginning of "Freeing the Black Body that Anti-fatness becomes a coherent ideology through anti-Blackness, right? Through, through the way that the white settlers saw fatness on, on the African body. And so if we understand this right, I, I think what I'm saying is that anti-fatness is not just a structure, it's not just a form of structural violence, it is also a metaphysical violence, meaning that unless we are destroying the, the very atmosphere that allows for anti-fatness to exist, it only will find a way again to be reproduced. Um, and I think that we see that through how you know the early the early parts of anti-fat organizing was about clothing and mm-hmm. and 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 modeling and and people wanting to be able to to, to fit their yeah exactly and so then they gave us you know a few quote unquote plus size models and and they made some some they made some clothing that that could fit some fat folks and 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 all of a sudden everything was okay but fat folks were still being killed by doctors in the medical industry, right? We're still being killed by by the gym by gym culture and diet culture. We're still having to to interact in so many ways with with harmful anti-fat science. We're still having to interact with harmful anti-fat policy, right? We're still not being hired. We're still being fired at rapid rates. We're still not being housed, right? Like all these different things that are still affecting fat folks. But because we we gave you this piece that was supposed to placate you, right? That was supposed to pacify you. The rest of that doesn't matter. And so the argument is that it cannot only be structural if it permeates every single piece of society, right? And so if if it is in every single thing that we know as society, then there must be something wrong then with society and not just with the structure. Or rather, society must create the conditions for the structure to exist. I try to explain it sometimes, like, With architect, and of course I'm not an architect, Mm -hmm. but with architecture, like, you know, you have a society and then you have buildings.
2: (laughs) We live in a society. We live in a society, exactly.
3: (laughs) And then you have buildings, right? But you can tear down those buildings and there can be other buildings built inside of those buildings or Mm -hmm. inside in the space of of where that building once was Mm -hmm. that would create the very same violences, that would create the very same harm, that would create the very same conditions because... The society that we live in still exists. And so unless we're talking about destroying the society that allows for the buildings to be built in the first place, that didn't lead to gentrification, that didn't lead to environmental racism, that didn't lead to all these different things, right? Then we're not having the conversation that that works well enough. Mm. That's really where my argument comes in and and where it kind of relates to Afro-pessimism.
2: Dang, I'm processing. Yeah. I'm on board, but what do we do? That's so big. That's
3: everything it is. it is and no one person can answer that question yeah and i think that we always we do get stuck at, at at what do we do yeah we don't want to to say i don't have this answer alone and i cannot have this answer alone right i don't want to answer this alone we have to be willing to set aside the fact that we we don't have the answers on our own and that perhaps together we can create those answers we can find those answers but so much of the issue with the world that we live in right now is that a few white men came up with it right yeah. like yeah. like so so i don't want to recreate the very same issues that 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 we already experienced where just like a, a couple of people decide that this is how the world is going to function and then now we're back at square one right
2: definitely i mean i think a lot of what also it's like very easy to think of examples of what you're talking about like most yeah. notably in, in my head is like the ways that like girl boss white feminism, yes, you know, uh, recreated or rearticulated a lot of the same problems mm-hmm. in just like male white male led spaces. Yep. Wow, you're so smart. I'm so glad we're <laughs> here. To, to explain this. Right Thank you. Now. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the episode shout out to stylish sista where you can get the only saf stickers on the market you can
1: find the all bodies are good bodies collab at stylish for a limited time and i can't recommend enough that you do how else will you meet
2: other family members in the wild
1: reminder that we have a voicemail box at 213-375-5023 and we want to hear from you
2: you can call in with questions, concerns, and Hayes' thoughts, and we might even play your message on the pod. Sophie, got anything to say about Apple Podcast Reviews? If you want to leave a legacy of reviews for me to cry over on the toilet long after SAF ends, please rate and review us on Apple
1: Podcasts. As always, shout out to our patrons. Thank you to Rachel Blum-Jose, Nicole Kaneski, Megan Rodriguez, Maggie Holbold. Valerie Nickdow. Michaela Mason. Abby Jenkins, our Fat Culture Sommelier. Emily Tormey. Bronwyn Hudson. And Panda Socks
2: 8. We could not make the show without you. Bye. Bye! She's All Fat was created by me, Sophie Carter-Kahn, and April K. Quio, who graduated. We are an independent production. If you'd like to support the work we do, you can join our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash she's all fat pod. When you pledge to be a supporter, you'll get all sorts of goodies and extra content. Please make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It's super important in making sure people find the show so we can grow the family. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to the stuff we mentioned today. And don't forget to send us your questions at fyi at she'sallfatpod.com. You can also leave us a voicemail at 213-375-5023, and we might even play it on the pod. Our episode ads are done in partnership with ACAST. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, you can get started at acast.com. Our theme music was composed and produced by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs. Our website was designed by Jesse Fish, and our logo is by Hannah Sanger. Lynn Barbera co-produced and edited this episode. Yeli Cruz is our magical junior producer. Our thin crony forever is Maria Bertel. I'm our host and co-producer. Our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter handles are at She's All Fat Pod. You can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Stay safe. We love you.